0: What up everybody, welcome to another episode of the Hyperguat Podcast. We're taking you behind the scenes with a founder interview, Jeff Knobs uh, from Zero Acre Farms has brought to market this incredible new fermented cultured oil, an alternative to vegetable oil that's not deforesting the Amazon. Um, We just tried this product, stoked to, yeah, get access to Jeff, we're investors in the company. Yeah, this is the third most consumed food on the planet. This
1: is a $292 billion market. This is a massive problem that's affecting both the health of our planet and the health of us. And I think that it's not a problem that's obvious. No one's really talking about it, but it's slowly going to become more and more mainstream as we realize that the food that we consume every single day is destroying our rainforest and causing us obesity and diabetes and all these awful things that are contributing to the healthcare
0: epidemic that we face. And that's why we're stoked to uh, bring Jeff in and talk to you about how this product and company is changing all of that. And yeah, they just launched. Couldn't be more of an epic times. Welcome to the HyperGWAP podcast. Today we have a really special founder interview for you. One of our portfolio companies, Jeff Knobs the founder of Zero Acre Farms. What up, Jeff? How are you doing today?
2: Hey, guys, I'm good. How are you?
0: Awesome. So let's just jump right into it. Um, Zero Acre Farms, this is actually something that like you didn't pitch us. This isn't like something we saw through our normal deal flow. This is on Twitter. I saw this product launch of a vegetable oil that was made by a fermentation totally changing are basically tackling two problems, one for our health and one for the climate. That's a product in almost everything we eat that's making us unhealthier, ruining the planet. We don't even think about it. And then you package the solution in this really cool little vegetable oil. And I was like, oh my God, I love this vision. This has so much potential. It reminds me of exactly kind of what Tesla's doing, but in a different industry. Um, and I feel like nobody's focused on this innovation. So that's kind of how it all started. And it, I feel like it totally got me hooked on the vision. I was so excited. Um, and so I'm I'm curious if you could give us a little context on, I think this is so unique. because It's a product that is like making our, us personally healthier, but also solving a way that we're ruining the planet. So, can you tell us how little oil of vegetable oil is is tackling two such big uh, issues?
2: Yeah, you know, you mentioned Tesla. A lot of people think of cars more than they do of their cooking oil because uh, you know you look around and kind of no matter where you are, you probably are, are within you know pretty close distance to a car or see a car. You drive in a car. Cooking oil is kind of just hiding in everything, but it is. It is really in everything. It's 20% of every calorie we eat comes from vegetable oil. It's in most packaged foods, most restaurant meals. And when we say vegetable oils, we're talking broadly about oils that come from grains and seeds like soybean oil, rapeseed oil, or canola oil, safflower oil, corn oil, sunflower oil, et cetera, et cetera. These foods are now the most consumed food in the world after rice and wheat. And again, most people aren't thinking that much about them though. There are a growing number of people who are starting to wake up to the fact that we shouldn't be guzzling corn oil and canola oil at every meal. And that we should be focusing on healthy fats. The, the issue is in food service in food manufacturing and, in, and in home cooking, you know, we, have become very accustomed to using liquid oils. Um, you know, we used to use kind of more traditional fats. Those have fallen out of fashion. Um, and, and there just hasn't been a really good alternative to all of these vegetable oils or seed oils, as they're known. And so I, I've been banging my head against the wall on this problem for the better part of the last decade, trying to figure out how to get these oils that do so much harm to our health, to the planet, how to get them out of the food system. And the obvious answer just seemed to be we need to bring something to market that's better. And you know, one one option, one path could be focus a lot on education really try to get people to stop eating foods that have oil in them, um, to, you know, clean their pantry out of every one of these vegetable oils, but didn't think that was realistic. Um, you know, sticking with the, the Tesla analogy, sort of like trying to convince everyone to stop driving altogether would be very difficult. Um, maybe a better solution would be to bring cars to market that are just better and happen to also have all these benefits for, you know, our safety and for the planet. And so, why
1: has nobody tackled this problem before, Jeff? Like, what? Like, it seems like this is like a huge problem that's kind of hidden
2: behind the scene. Why hasn't anyone kind of tried to solve this? Well, I think just the the identification of the problem is somewhat new, and you don't have to go that far back. Just the 1990s, and everyone thought that you know, as as long as as it was low fat, it was healthy, and as long as the fats that you did have were from these vegetable oils like corn oil, canola oil, that it was healthy. So this was the age of you know, snack, well cookies and high sugar, everything. And, um, you know, we thought these oils were great. And then they turned out to be not so great. This was also a time when we thought trans fats were great. So, you know, it shows how much we, um, how much we thought we knew and how much our, our views on nutrition change over time. Uh, when we figured out trans fats weren't so great and that we shouldn't partially hydrogenate vegetable oils, we kind of switched as a world and as, as a country to things like palm oil. Um, palm oil is destroying habitats all over the world there's, there's been a push, you know, more away from palm oil, though. It's still a huge growing industry to these, to these vegetable oils and only in the last several years, decade or so has a lot of the research come out showing just how harmful they are, you know, results of randomized controlled trials that were done, um, a while ago, those results only came out recently. So if if you would have told someone, you know, canola oil is bad in like the late nineties, early two thousands, it would have been, you know, it, it wouldn't have made any sense. Now more and more people actually understand that these oils aren't so good. and and then there's just been a lot more infrastructure built around fermentation in general. You know fer- fermentation for food, for food tech now that doesn't sound so crazy, but even even ten years ago, the thought of using fermentation for anything other than like sauerkraut and beer, um, you know th- that, that would have been a completely novel concept. Uh, not now all sorts of uh, foods in, in the food tech space are, are made using fermentation. So I think it's a combination of these things coming together, you know, identification of the problem and actually the actual infrastructure to do it at scale.
0: And could you walk us through um how you basically make your product from sc- like from scratch the whole kind of supply chain versus the at a high level versus the status quo of vegetable oil like, you know, growing palm trees in the desert in the rainforest, cutting them down, using maybe pesticides to grow them. Just kind of like the whole step of the process so we understand because I think what's so fascinating about this is it gives consumers the opportunity to vote with their dollars and say, this is a future and a system I want to support. It's not just about a product that's healthier, that looks cooler, that tastes better, although that's all part of the package, but it's really like you're supporting an entirely different way to produce it and system for the planet. So I'm curious if you could walk us through that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll start with how vegetable oil is grown. Um, I'll start with the bad news and the depressing news. Then we can go into you know how, how a different way. So most vegetable oils are grown in only in very specific regions of the world. And this is part of why any any crop, but in particular vegetable oil crops that aren't very efficient and are so prevalent, why they're so problematic. So something like a a palm oil, even something like a a coconut oil or cocoa butter, these only grow in, in regions such as the tropics, like palm oil only grows within about 10 degrees of the equator. If you, you, you can't go and grow palm trees in Nebraska or Russia or South Africa, you know, just, it wouldn't work. And so they compete for land with the most biodiverse regions of the planet, which are, which are rainforests, uh, by far the most biodiverse regions of the planet. So something like palm oil is actually extremely productive in, in how much oil it produces per acre. It's just where it grows that that's the problem. And then the crops that can grow in colder regions, like rapeseed oil, canola oil, sunflower oil, um, you know these are less problematic because of where they grow because they they grow in grasslands where there's not nearly as much biodiversity they're just not very good at making oil they're not very efficient at it but what, whether you're growing oil crops in in the tropics or in you know the grasslands of canada or or, uh, or ukraine or the woodlands of uk or wherever uh you, you basically have to you know destroy an ecosystem so any, anytime we're growing crops you know you're destroying an existing ecosystem um uh, you know that's kind of a necessary evil. So the less you can do that, the better. And you tear out this ecosystem and then you plant a bunch of crops. In the case of oil crops, you then wait about six months for them to grow for something like soybean to create its beans. You then chemically extract those soybeans with um you know with with problematic solvents like hexane. And you get a little bit of oil out of these beans. Um, what's left over, you feed to animals and factory farms and then you know generally that oil has been marketed as being good for us we never ate it before 100 years ago but it's marketed as heart healthy so that's kind of the conventional way to produce edible oil from um from typically monocrops the the other way of doing it which is how cultured oil is made is through fermentation so what what that means is to take a step back what does fermentation mean in general fermentation is when a community of microorganisms also called a culture when they eat the sugars, the natural sugars found in in different plants or in milk and convert those sugars into something else entirely. And that something else could be the lactic acid that, uh, makes yogurt, yogurt or sourdough, you know, puts the sour in sourdough. It could be the alcohol and carbon dioxide that, that, uh, is in beer and gives beer it's carbonation. Um, so there are sourdough cultures, wine cultures, cheese cultures. There are also oil cultures and what oil cultures do is they're, specific microorganisms that convert sugar into oil. So in the case of cultured oil, uh, a, a culture is fed sugar, and the microorganisms in that culture literally convert on a, you know carbon atom by carbon atom, ox- oxygen atom by oxygen atom convert uh, sugar into oil. And that oil is really healthy. It's, it has way more of the, the good fats than even like an olive oil or avocado oil. Uh, way lower levels of the fats that have been linked to inflammation and that process of using fermentation to make oil results in about a 10 X or 90% lower environmental footprint than
0: conventional vegetable oil. And you mentioned you're you're on your like Tesla Roadster moment sort of, or if we use the Tesla analogy, obviously I love Tesla, but I'm like, how much vertical integration is there going to be? It's it's very expensive at first. So can you walk us through the business model and sort of the idea behind this this first product launch, which after you know years of coming out of stealth, you finally have something uh, that people can actually buy, which is yeah, so so. Yeah, Tesla cool.
2: is a good analogy to stick to here um, because cultured oil is not the cheapest oil on the market you know, it's not palm oil or canola oil prices yet. Um, but, but neither, neither was the Roadster when it came out. now you have, you know, the model three and, and maybe future versions of Tesla that, that, that will be even more affordable. So cultured oil is, uh, you know, it's not, it, it's already within the range of like a nice avocado oil or premium extra virgin olive oil. Um, but you, yeah, we hope to bring the cost down over time. And so part of the reason we're starting with consumer and not, you know, we we don't want, and it's not realistic to have our first customer be McDonald's and Frito-Lay. You know, th- those are multi-year sales cycles. The costs need to come down more. They're they're super price sensitive. Um, they need to reach this huge, broad audience. But there are a lot of consumers out there who are willing to pay a premium for something that's better for them and and better and, or better for the planet. You know, these these are the consumers who buy 100% grass-fed beef and pasture-raised eggs and organic produce and fair trade coffee and, you know, all, all the rest. Um, And now there's an oil that we think fits the benefits of those other products an oil that is genuinely better for you. You know, it's in the fat profile. You can see how high it is in in healthy fats, um, that, that has a significant benefit for the planet compared to any other oil out there, really, no matter how you look at it. Um, and, and so there are a lot of consumers out there willing to, willing to pay that premium. Again, it's not like it's 10 X more expensive, but, you know, pay a little bit more. Um, and, and then, you know, we're a public benefit corporation, so the reason we exist is for our mission for, for people and for planet. And so every dollar of profit that we get through these early customers that goes right back into R and D that, and that R and D goes toward bringing the cost down and the lower the cost, the more customers we can reach, you know, the more profit we have to continue bringing down the cost. So it creates this kind of nice cycle, virtuous cycle, uh, in theory, at least. And so we're, you know, we're at like step one of that. Um, we just launched, you know, a couple of weeks ago. And so we're, starting to get those, those early adopters uh, who are voting with their dollar. And so how do you think about like
1: other products that have come on the market before that are trying to do something similar, maybe in different categories, like a beyond meat or impossible foods or, or an Oatly and what have you seen them do well that you kind of wanted to replicate or what have they, what, what kind of changes would you make to their model? And yeah. How do you think about like the, the food tech space or how would you even define the space in general?
2: So the first change I'd make would be to remove the vegetable oils from their products, but I also understand <laughs> why they use them because you know there, there's not another good option out there. Um and, and like I said, you know, this this problem is kind of just coming into the spotlight the way trans fats came into the spotlight a couple of decades ago, sugar's really come to the spotlight in the last 10 years. And I think I think the awareness around vegetable oils is the next big pillar to fall. What do I think about these companies? Anytime you know companies introduce new products that contain compounds, um, in very large amounts that humans have never consumed before. I, I think that's where we really run into trouble. You know, th- this was the case with trans fats. Um, humans had never consumed these partially hydrogenated oils before. And so they introduced all these unique fatty acids, um, that turned out to be really bad for us, you know, same with sugar. Um, refined sugar was never something that we consumed in, in massive quantities, um, or, you know, today's gluten. Uh, th- these are all things like some people are totally fine eating them. Some people are super sensitive to them. Uh, and, and so in, in, the case of cultured oil, you know, we've thought about this from the start where cultured oil is just made of the same fats that are in all the other foods, you know, that are in all of sen avocados and macadamia nuts, um, and beef with just more of the monounsaturated fats and less of those inflammatory fats like omega six fats. So there, there's, there's nothing new when food tech is used to create entirely new compounds, that's when we are into trouble. When food tech is used to get us more of the good and less of the bad, and bring us foods that are more in line with what we evolved to eat, but maybe made in a more sustainable way, or a more efficient way, or a more cost-effective way, that's when I think technology can be awesome in food. Um, and so, yeah, some companies, you know, I think are, are doing a great job of that. Some companies, I think, have a have a ways to go on that. Um, so, I, I hope the future is one where you know, all this technology is used to just bring us the food that our bodies are are used to and want to eat.
0: So I'm curious if you could fast forward a few years um and, and this type of new fermentation really hits its stride and begins scaling. Like are we gonna have these like massive giga fermenters in cities or like what is cause right now we look we think about the future of this this food system or where it is, it's like farming, cutting down the rainforest, like I don't wanna say archaic, but it feels like we're relying on certain weather patterns that might not be there. Like we're relying on kind of like nature. Um, and so I'm curious what this new type of food system will look like. we just have these like big vats that are kind of like growing oil themselves. And there'll be like solar panels on top and it'll be zero acre, I guess, or zero emissions. It's a good question because there's not
2: a super clear answer. Um, certainly, you know, with the climate changing, or even if the climate was stable, agriculture is dependent on weather patterns. And this is, you know, this was the case 10,000 years ago when we first, um, started domesticating crops and, and animals. Um, you know, and, and uh, many gods were formed from our prayers for weather that would, um, you know, allow us to have higher yields. So it's a super important part, um, of the last several thousand years. Uh, and so, you know, that's not gonna change anytime soon with regular old agriculture, we can have good seasons, we can have bad seasons with a changing climate, um, it's just harder to plan for. And so something like, you know, growing a whole field of sunflower, if there's a war in that area, which is, you know, recently what's happened with in, in Ukraine. Um, or if there's, you know, a drought or a fire or a flood or what have you, an, an entire season's worth of crop can, can be wiped out. And with billions of people on the planet who need food, um, it, it's not the most reliable system, there are a couple ways to look at something like fermentation. One is like you described, you know, a, a handful of areas, like maybe one in each continent across the world that. Have these massive fermentation facilities um, you know millions of liters of fermentation capacity to produce uh oil using using this method of fermentation another is um having it be more localized and so this just comes you know it just kind of creates a a trade-off of um probably lower costs but more more centralization versus slightly higher costs but more localization and there's not necessarily a right answer but that's the beauty of fermentation is you can you can have the exact same oil, the exact same product, the exact same fat, and it can be done in Antarctica or Siberia or the Sahara or Canada or California. It can be done anywhere because it's an enclosed fermentation facility. Um, you know, it's not exposed to to local weather. Um, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see kind of how how things unfold. Uh, you know, we don't e- either way it would be great. Um, You know, the whole, the whole reason we exist, what we want to see is to see this problem be solved and if, you know, we're, we're sort of agnostic to how we get there, but think that right now fermentation offers the best solution.
0: Can you explain maybe how you spend resources on like getting scientists and like pace of innovation, so to speak? Like, I know you're starting with this product, but then you want to expand um, into like using this technology to tackle a bunch of different other things. So, can you talk to us about how you focus the resources of the startup and how that leads to a lot of, of companies will how that's going to work? A lot
2: of tech companies will start with a technology, you know, maybe something that came out of a, uh, some PhD research or something like that. And then kind of, you know, they have this hammer and we'll go looking around for a nail that they can, that they can hit with this hammer that they've developed. Um, ours was the opposite approach where I had done a bunch of research on this, you know, spent most of my adult life thinking about this problem, um, specifically health and nutrition, and then the impact of food on the environment. And clearly something had to change clearly we, you know, uh, how we produce edible oils and fats is really problematic, but I didn't know exactly what the solution was. Um, but, but was obsessed with the problem. And then when I came across fermentation you know, in the scientific literature in previous commercial efforts, you know, we're, we're not the first to ever use microorganisms to produce lipids or oils and fats. There's actually been research on this field going back like a hundred years. Um, and even around world war II, like Russia was looking for ways to have edible oils and fats. You know, even if there was a famine or a war where they couldn't uh, import from other countries. So lots of previous research in this field. Um, and, and so I, you know, I thought, cool, we can leverage that and based on all the research out there and, you know, what, what I'm saying there, we, we can create really healthy fat profiles. Um, you know, it, there can be very low environmental footprints, but if, if you put me in front of a, you know, in front of a fermenter, I, you, I, I wouldn't be able to go from there to now having a, a bowl of oil. Um, So yeah, built out a scientific team, um, and, and just showed people, you know, what could be possible if we could replace vegetable oils with something healthier and more sustainable. And a lot of people are really into that and are really compelled by, you know, helping people, helping the planet. Um, so, so really focused early efforts on, on building out both my co-founding team and the broader team with, uh, PhDs and folks who just know a lot more than I do on, on all things, fermentation and microorganisms and fatty acids and all the rest. How do you think about opting out
1: of the old food system and like transitioning to this new food system? Like what do we have to do collectively as a society from a policy perspective, education, investment, like how like
2: it seems like everything needs to be changed and like how do we accelerate that? I think the fastest way to accelerate it is through some sort of so so the, there there's a there's a way for it to happen which doesn't require anything from the government, doesn't require any subsidies, any regulation and it's just education and more and more people wanting to do what's right for you know, themselves first and foremost, um, like what's gonna be good for me, what's gonna be good for my family, for my kids. And then for those who, um, you know, can afford to think this way, what's gonna be best for the planet. Am I gonna pay a premium for something that's gonna help my grandkids? Um, and so, so that's totally viable. And we've gotten to all sorts of solutions by people just kind of starting to care and movements being built around that. And, you know, more and more science, uh, coming out, kind of showing why something might be problematic, why something else might be better. So that's kind of one layer another layer is um to make it the selfish decision for people who you know aren't thinking about the the impact their choices on the environment and you know how they spend toward that who aren't listening to podcasts on nutrition and health um and you know make products that are just better and then the icing on the cake is that they happen to be better for you and better for the planet and then I, i think of the third layer as regulation and this could be You know, the equivalent of like a soda tax where government actually steps in and says, Hey, we all agree that sugar is bad for you. So let's make it a little bit harder to eat that or drink that thing. That's bad for you. You know, so there could be on the nutrition side regulation around things like seed oils, whether it's from eating them or from cooking with them. The, the number two cause of lung cancer in the world is the inhalation of cooking oil fumes. So basically vegetable oil fumes. Um, that's not good. So we shouldn't be cooking with these unstable oils that easily oxidize vegetable oils. So there could be regulation there on the health, on the, on the, uh, the health side. There could also be regulation of the equivalent of, um, carbon credits or carbon taxes, um, on, on the sustainability side you know, this massive bill just passed on, um, on climate. I haven't looked into all the details. I don't know what the exact impact will be, but, um, cultured oil would certainly stand to benefit if there were, you know, credits for companies who are making products that are more sustainable. How exactly that's measured is like you're opening up Pandora's box when it comes to, when it comes to food. Um, but yeah, that, that would accelerate things. So a combination of a lot of education, people, caring, uh, solutions that are actually better. And then any sort of, you know, government regulation would, would, um, would help is not necessary, but would, would definitely help accelerate.
1: Well, I, I had another question kind of about Aiden, like
0: you if you want one? to narrow
1: in on like building the business, building the company, like how you think about kind of like fundraising trajectory, like product launches in the future, how are you thinking about like near term catalysts in the next year or two, um, like where you'd like to be and then kind of maybe transition to like five years, ten years. Like how, how does the business evolve and like your ideal case scenario?
2: Yeah, our, so where we want to be eventually is you walk down the street and you just go to your local fast food restaurant and that delicious food that you order. That's cheap and convenient is not killing you and not destroying the planet. And there are a lot of problems to solve in the world. We're not gonna solve all of them, but the, you know, the, the little corner of the problem that, that we've decided to chew off is with oils and fats, we think it's an, you know, we think it's a lead domino. We think it's an important problem to solve for the reasons we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, you know, how prevalent they are, how problematic they are when it comes to our health. Um, so if you can order that French fries that, you know, we're probably not gonna be able to stop you from ordering. Cause it's, it's really good and, and affordable if you can order those French fries and they're at least neutral for you and not so bad for you, that'd be a huge win. And if we can do that across, you know, all restaurant meals, across all packaged foods, across the oils consumers uh, are using to cook at home, that'd be great. We're not gonna get there tomorrow. We're probably not even gonna get there in the next, you know, uh, year or two, it's gonna take a decade to, to have that sort of impact. Um, but that, that means we got to start somewhere. And so for us, that's D 2 C that's selling cultured oil online. You know, that's the first step toward this much larger vision over the, over the coming decade. Um, and so, so we also plan to, um, release products that, um, that are not just using cultured oil, but using other, uh, oils and fats that we're developing as part of our fermentation process and, um, working with companies to to roll out food products that use cultured oil as an ingredient, um, you know, to st- sell on online and on store shelves, uh, eventually getting cultured oil and, and other products into restaurants, into packaged food. But y- you got to start small and expand from there. Um, as the cost comes down, you know, as there's more awareness around the problem, um, the, the key to getting, getting into B2B, uh, business to business, you know, selling to packaged food companies and restaurants is that their customers care. Of course they want to do the right thing and, and and all that, but if they start using a new ingredient and uh, and you know their customers could care less and it doesn't help them make tastier food, it's it's not really aligned with their fiduciary responsibilities. Um, if they start using a new ingredient that does make their food taste better, that um, you know is higher performing in the kitchen and their customers see it on a menu and say, awesome. You know, this restaurant's using, cooking their food in cultured oil, or they turn over a bag of chips and see cultured oil as an ingredient and and love seeing that. Um, you know, that's how you can actually impact change on the B2B side, but it takes a little while to get there.
0: And I know we're almost out of time. So wrapping it up, I think this is such a cool microcosm of how venture back companies and startups maybe they get a bad name. It's like, oh, this is out of Silicon Valley. They're just doing like coming up with crazy technology. VCs are funding it, but what it's really doing is sort of this direly needed innovation that isn't happening in any sector of the world to like make a real change. What we're happening, like I always do, like the alien test. Like, if aliens were watching, they'd be like, oh my god, I can't believe they're like cutting down the rainforest, like grow this oil that's super bad for them and it's making them like super unhealthy personally. And it's ruining them like, what are they doing? And then you come along and you structure a company and align incentives in the right way to get the smartest people in the world to develop this new technology that actually has a chance to, to stop that problem and give consumers an easy choice to just vote and say, I want to buy this. So I just think this is when we started Hyperwop and all, um, you know, our VC fund, we, are like we want to fund these big ideas that are going to have a real impact where we feel like the government... I don't know if it's the government's role to be focused on this sort of innovation, but it sh- it needs to be somebody. So I just kind of like to think about how important this problem is um, and how if Zero Acre succeeds, it will have a huge impact on so many people in the planet um, if we can switch to this new fermented model. So on that note, I don't know if you have anything to wrap it up. Obviously, we'll put the link so people can go buy it and, and try it out um, I, I and start following along the to the points. story. But is there anything um, else we should have? Yeah, know you're right that some people probably rightfully
2: so. Look at what comes out of Silicon Valley and, you know, roll their eyes and why why is so much VC money being poured into this stuff, you know, another social media tracking app or or what have you. Um and I don't think that's the case at all with Zero Acre Farms, but you know, all of us co founders, we've had previous exits. We could have I don't know. Had a much more chill, less stressful lifestyle, um, but I, I couldn't help obsessing over this problem. And just selfishly, I want this to exist. And you know, I want to walk down the street and and go eat a, a, a delicious meal at a restaurant and know that it's not doing so much harm to me and, and my family. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Where you know that there are ways to use this model to do some good. Well, thank me, you Jeff. so
0: much for your time, Jeff. Really appreciate it. We're stoked to be investors. Zero acres cultured vegetable oil.
1: Crisp opening.
0: I'm just gonna blast this on high heat. I don't know if that was too much, but that's what that was.
1: So it's funny because I was thinking like this product feels like oh like why is this gonna change the world like a little thing of like vegetable oil we're documenting cooking a steak like we aren't on like Top Chef or one of those like shows but it's funny because it's something like this that is in everything that can contribute to our 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 health and what causes like some of the biggest diseases in the U S heart disease diabetes and. It's causing massive deforestation in important parts of the world, and it's causing climate change. Something as simple as vegetable oil. And until recently, there hasn't been really anyone working on a solution. And this is what the standard product looks like today. This is what you're looking at in the future.